I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, June 2nd, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So, Jay, did you see on Twitter that Elon Musk had sent out an email to all Tesla employees saying that if you're not working in the office, he doesn't think you're working at all and he's requiring everyone come into the office? I did see that, but don't like a ton of employees at Tesla actually work like on an assembly line? Well, yeah, this is like his big argument is that there are a number of people that are working on the assembly line. And then there are all these people, technically office staff that are working from home and he wants everyone to work in location. And so he made a really big fuss about it, which is interesting because the trend has been to allow people to work from home. That's the idea of how you get the best possible talent is by recruiting people around the world and they work from home and remotely. And that's great. But he is really bucking that trend. Yes, but I also follow a Twitter account that tracks his private jets flights around the world. And I happen to know that Elon Musk does not work from the office very often because he's often in the air flying to and fro. So maybe it's a little bit of do as I say, not as I do, Brett. Well, he also runs two companies. And so... Well, not almost three. Well, yeah, well, three, four, five <laughs> companies. He's got like a million companies. And so it does it count that he's working at the SpaceX office for Tesla or if he's working at Tesla for SpaceX. I think he himself is probably going to be the biggest hypocrite of this rule. But I think it's interesting. You know, I understand he made one point that I thought was really good, which was that he spent a lot of time on the Tesla manufacturing floor, the assembly line, when times were tough to show that he was as committed to the company as everyone else was. And that's what allowed them to get through some tough times. So I appreciate that. It's an opinion for sure. I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. You know, I prefer the remote hybrid lifestyle, but it's, yeah, it's interesting. Well... Let's see where this falls. Aside from Elon Musk not working from the office, what do we have for Peak Pals today, Brett? Well, for our first story, the Bank of Canada is hiking interest rates again. Our second story is Canadian employers now need to disclose pay gap data. And for our third story, some of North America's biggest food and drink companies are limiting advertising to children. For our first story, the Bank of Canada is continuing to aggressively hike interest rates to combat high inflation, announcing another 0.5 percentage point raise yesterday to 1.5%. Brett, let's unpack what this means for the Peak Pals. So to get you caught up, Canada's annual inflation rate hit a 31-year high of 6.8% in April, more than three times the Bank of Canada's 2% target, and it's expected to rise even further. Now, if left unchecked, inflation slowly chips away at how far your dollars go, what you make, and how much you can save. And prices are expected to rise even more as the war in Ukraine makes commodities and energy more scarce and the global supply chain recovers from the COVID lockdowns in China. Now, while the BOC can't control global sources of inflation, higher interest rates aim to control what's happening within Canada's borders, like consumer demand, which is running far ahead of the economy's capacity to meet it by making debt more expensive. Now, when debt becomes more expensive, people buy fewer things like lofts in downtown Toronto, shares <laughs> in budding food delivery startups, or that extra side of guac. You got to spare the guac at Chipotle when debt becomes expensive. Now, housing, which is one of the most interest rate sensitive parts of the economy, is already showing signs of slowing as mortgage rates push higher and hinder demand. However, despite talk of Canada possibly entering a period of recession, there are still some indicators the economy looks pretty good. BMO economist Benjamin Ratzies said the labor market is staying strong thanks to job vacancies, labor shortages, and wage growth. So, Brett, why should people care about these mixed messages? So here's the thing. The Bank of Canada will continue to hike rates until inflation starts to trend lower, confirming in yesterday's announcement that it's prepared to act more forcefully, meaning anyone looking for relief from economic hardship may be disappointed. Their main goal is how do we get inflation down? 
But BMO's Red Seas expects another 0.5% point hike in July, but said there is a risk of a 0.75 move if we see an unexpected acceleration in inflation. For our second story, Canada's largest employers are now required to report wage gap data, part of an effort to shine a light on pay discrepancies across the country. This sounds pretty neat, but how is it actually going to work in real life? Well, on June 1st, new requirements under the Employment Equity Act kicked in, requiring federally regulated private sector employers, including airlines, banks, telcos, and more, to offer more transparency into how they're paying their workers. Now, the aggregated wage gap information won't be available until winter 2023, but will also reveal bonus pay gaps, overtime pay gaps, and overtime hours worked gaps. Policymakers in a number of countries are introducing new pay transparency requirements for companies. Austria, Denmark, and Britain, for example, already require some employers to track and report gender wage gaps. There's some evidence transparency does reduce the pay gap. At some Canadian universities, a public list of high-earning public sector salaries helped shrink those gaps. But the bad news is that researchers have also found transparency can lead to stagnating wage growth by making it more difficult for employees to bargain for higher salaries. And so, Jay, why do all these changes around pay transparency matter? Well, wage gaps have outsized impact on people with disabilities, people of color, and women. The new measures could boost pay for people in those groups and spark more pay transparency in the private sector. And for our third and final story, some of North America's largest food and drinks companies are pledging to limit advertising to children under 13 as increased regulation on the practice looms, this all according to a story in the Wall Street Journal. Brett, that seems like a pretty positive step. What's the story behind this? Well, as kids are exposed to increasingly sophisticated targeted advertising, this coalition of 20 companies, which includes some of the biggest names in junk food, Jay McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Hostess, and Mars, will only advertise products to children that meet certain nutritional standards. Well, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Hostess, and Mars sounds like breakfast. But one coalition (laughs) member, Unilever, is going so far as to end all food and beverage marketing to children under 16 and stop using influencers to target that age group. Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm just kidding. All right. All right. Just checking. (laughs) The move away from children's advertising by these companies is a preemptive measure as the FTC is considering updating children's ad rules for the modern era, while the EU's new Digital Services Act already prohibits online platforms targeting minors with ads. Companies also want to benefit from the good graces of parents by positioning themselves as benevolent corporations that don't pollute impressionable kitties with corrupting commercials. We love a benevolent corporation, don't we, Jay? (laughs) We do. Now, in Canada, Quebec is the only province that regulates children's advertising, banning ads that target kids under 13. Now, for the rest of the country, a 2018 study found that three-fourths of children are regularly exposed to ads for junk food while using social media. The federal government tried to limit junk food advertising to kids under 13 by amending the Child Health Protection Act, but the proposal died on the Senate floor in 2019 after aggressive lobbying from various food and marketing industry groups. And here's why this all matters if it wasn't already obvious. Neither companies nor the government alone can solve the problem without participation from the platforms running the ads. Companies like Disney, Alphabet, and Meta have taken some steps to eliminate targeted advertising to youths on their platform, but that they have proved to be the exceptions. In the age of iPad babies and TikTok teens, protecting kids from harmful ads is no longer as simple as turning off the TV. The ads are everywhere now, Jay. Turning off the TV does absolutely nothing. Because the kids don't even know how to turn on the TV. They're watching on their screen, so it doesn't really matter. We need to step up our game. 
Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, want to follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for producing this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I was joking that it was my breakfast, but you're the one that makes constant runs to Tim Hortons. So I was thinking I was going to go to your house tomorrow to make you a healthy <laughs> breakfast because I'm concerned now. <laughs> well, you're welcome anytime, Brett. Have a good day. <laughs> you too. 